Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Get deeper insights on the news from inside sources. Well, this spring could be the most pivotal pivotal, pivotal moment uh, for Ukraine since Russia invaded nearly a year ago. And that's according to U.S. officials who are concerned that time and support are not on their side. Uh, spring is going to be a crucial moment, and we're really pleased to have joining us on the program once again, Yasmin Abutalib uh, from the Washington Post, White House reporter. And Yasmin, you have a, a great piece in the Washington Post uh, about some of those warnings to Ukraine about this pivotal, <laughs> pivotal, wow, it must be a Friday, uh, pivotal moments uh, in the battle. And uh, you've had a busy day besides. You've been over at the White House press briefing as well, and we appreciate you joining us uh, give us some perspective in terms of what's the lay of the land as we get to that one-year mark. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. So what the U.S. is telling Ukraine, you know, right now they have a guarantee over the next several months that security assistance, you know, billions of dollars of aid, weapons, heavy tanks from both the U.S. and its allies are coming in, and they want Ukraine to try to capitalize on that as much as possible. The war has really been sort of a slow grind in eastern Ukraine for some months now. Neither side has made significant gains. Uh, so there is concerns about this being a war of attrition. But we know Russia is planning an offensive. Ukraine wants to be able to mount a counteroffensive to try to retake critical territory. And the U.S. is telling them, you know, this is one of your best opportunities to try to change the trajectory of the war. We know this money is coming in. We know these weapons are going to be coming. Uh, the political dynamics in the U.S., this is just a reality everyone has to face. Republicans took control of the House in January. And while the White House says they're confident they'll still get more aid if they need it in a few months, there are no guarantees as to how much it could be or if the White House will get what it's asked for, which thus far it has every single time it's gone to Congress and asked for money. Yeah, so important. And uh, any sense from your perspective, we've been trying to dissect a little bit, you know, is Ukraine better off just really trying to, to hunker down and, and control the Donbass, uh, which we know Vladimir Putin would love to have for the natural gas and all the other minerals and resources? Do they try to go back at Crimea, which, again, I think uh, Vladimir Putin thinks he can control that in the Black Sea? And Vladimir Putin seems to say, hey, I can I can have both of these forks in the road. But from the Ukrainian standpoint, knowing this is a critical time, uh, can they play both of those strategies or they just need to pick one and go? This is this is a really important question because this hits at another sort of point of tension between uh, the U.S. and Ukraine. Of course, the U.S. says we're not going to tell Ukraine what to do. We just advise them. Uh, they guide them on intel and let them know what their military analysts know. But it's ultimately up to the Ukrainians what they decide to do. But they have their concern is that Ukraine cannot play the same game Russia is playing here. Ukraine cannot deploy forces everywhere Russia is sending them. So I think a, a really good example of this right now is Bakhmut, one of these cities in the east, where Russia has sent a lot of convicts, un, untrained, unskilled fighters, uh, to try to take the city. The U.S. says there's really no strategic value to the city. Um, and Ukraine has lost a lot of their skilled fighters um, on the front lines in Bakhmut over the last couple of months. Uh, and the U.S. is saying, look, you can't de- 
defend Bakhmut and simultaneously launch a counteroffensive and do both of those things well. So they want the Ukrainians to prioritize. Uh, they think the counteroffensive is much more important than defending Bakhmut, conceding that it does have symbolic importance. And the same with Crimea. U.S. Um, intelligence agencies have determined that right now Ukraine cannot retake Crimea. Uh, they don't. The, their forces aren't going to be able to do that anytime soon. They briefed Congress about this, uh, but of course, it is very symbolically important for the Ukrainians uh, that the the fight in this war be to retake all of Ukraine. Uh, and that's uh, we, we always say: focus precedes success, and and focus always precedes success, especially when you're dealing with limited resources uh, or. Uh, people power uh, that becomes so difficult and so challenging. Uh, I, there's also that uh, underlying uh, component of just how important this moment is uh, in that. And you pointed out in the, your piece in the Washington Post talking about the fact that Vice President Harris, Secretary of State Blinken uh, are going to are in Germany over the weekend. Uh, the president, of course, is traveling to Poland next week. Uh, the stakes are are clearly high and getting higher for Ukraine and for those critical components of the allies uh, there in Europe. Absolutely. It's, it's no coincidence that you have uh, the president and the vice president and the secretary of state and the defense secretary all visiting Europe um, in just a few days span. Um, and of course, the president's visit to Poland being probably the most remarkable of those. So you're, I think we can fully expect Vice President Harris in her address tomorrow uh, President Biden, when he gives an address next week in Poland, to really try to affirm the U.S. commitment to Ukraine, to try to show that there's no uh, defections or weakening of resolve among the Western alliance. They're hoping to send this very clear signal to Putin. Um, and, you know, that, that might all be true. Uh, but, again, that doesn't really forecast how the next few months will go or um, how long uh, – Europeans, and and even the U.S. and Congress will be willing to keep supporting this war. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah, and I think that I think for the European allies in particular where their citizens are are really feeling it much more than we're feeling it here in the United States. Uh, Europeans are dealing with it in terms of, uh, you know, gas prices and heating for their homes and so on. They're they're really feeling it. I think that becomes a a, a real tension point. Uh, any insight on the on the president's speech in Poland? Uh, I actually have felt that the speech he gave a year ago in Poland uh, was one of the best of his administration. I think he was very strong and very clear uh, in that. Anything you expect to see in that speech uh, that we should be watching for? Some subtle messages. But you know, I've heard from a lot of White House officials that they also think that that was one of the best speeches of his presidency. Um, I think you know, really, you're going to see the president saying this is a, a battle, democracy versus autocracy, and the world needs to stand by Ukraine. He's going to try to make this about something bigger than just the specific fight between Russia and Ukraine to try to maintain global support for this war. There, of course, has been um, a lot of countries, not, not necessarily in, in the U.S. Um, or Canada or the Western Alliance, but in the global south, 
who have really grown pretty tired of the war because of the global economic repercussions, the food shortages that have resulted. And so I think you're going to see the president try to make the case for sticking with Ukraine. Um, we don't know if he'll announce, you know, some new security assistance or military assistance for Ukraine. We haven't really gotten much indication of that. Uh, but I think, you know, him being there, him being in Eastern Europe, physically so close to Ukraine, is going to be him trying to send this very clear signal uh, that the U.S. is not going anywhere. Yeah, and any uh, sense from your sources, Yasmin, in, in terms of uh, the insight of, of Russia, we, we know they've had a little bit of a brain drain. Some half million to a million of their high-tech uh, folks have left the country. Uh, I always say it, it's sad, too, because I think a lot of those are people who could affect change inside the country. Uh, any any signs in, internally that Vladimir Putin is navigating uh, as we get to these spring offensives and counteroffensives? Well, we know that, you know, there's been, there, as you mentioned, there's been this, this big exodus from Russia. Uh, there have been Russians who have not supported the war. Uh, there have been high-level Russian officials who have questioned Vladimir Putin's judgment and leadership. Uh, there have been these questions surrounding his health. And so I think, you know, there, there has been some sort of speculation over how long he's going to be willing to stick with this. But I think one important thing to note is that um, and a, a lot of experts I've talked to have mentioned this, that Vladimir Putin is still hoping the West will get tired, will not want to continue to support Ukraine. Russia has far more troops than Ukraine does. And, of course, while the U.S. and, and uh, its Western allies are sending um, heavy weaponry and money, they're not sending troops. And so I think he's still hoping he can kind of wait out the West and then try to retake uh, these critical parts of the East. Uh-huh. Yasmin Abudalab uh, from the White House uh reporter for the Washington Post. And uh, Yasmin, always appreciate your perspective. Great writing, great sourcing, uh, great perspective as always. Uh, We appreciate you joining us on Inside Sources. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, always great perspective there. I, I love the way that Yasmin goes at these issues, and it's never just the top-line stuff. She understands what it means to get to the nuances that are so often missed in media, in social media, uh, in a headline world that we live in. Uh, and so we have to learn to think that way. That's why I love to have Yasmin on the on the program is because she gets you to think beyond just the obvious stuff and get to the nuances where all of these things are really going to be decided in the end. And especially when it comes to Ukraine, the spring is going to be pivotal. And we're going to continue to watch closely uh, what is happening, the offenses, the support, uh, the long-term strategy. It all has to come together. Well, that wraps up hour number one of Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. We'll step aside for Top of the Hour News. Stick around, though. We'll be back for hour number two of Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. Stay with us. KSL FM Midvale, KSL Salt Lake City. Listen on the KSL News Radio app and in your car at 102.7 FM. KSL News Radio, Utah's all day companion for news. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.